following message is from the 2015 IBCD Summer Institute, equipped to counsel. Before we start this uh, topic, I'd just like to tell you that this is an area very close and dear to my heart. When we, I talk about self-injurers, I'm going to deal with statistics. I see faces in my mind and in my heart. I see faces of young women, of older women, women struggling with these things. And so um, these are our individuals that, as a counselor, I have really grown to love and care about. I hope that this will be an issue that you'll care about and be open to minister to in your church. Anything that's outside the church, guarantee you, you'll have somebody inside the church struggling with it. People think this doesn't happen in the church. Yes, it does. It does. So let's, let's open with prayer. Gracious Father, we do thank you that you give us the opportunity to speak of the hard things, but the things that are not outside your power, your grace, your mercy, and the effectiveness of your word. We do ask that you'd open our hearts, that we might understand, that we would be a blessing to our sisters, that we would be witnesses to those that you may be drawing to yourself, Father. Cause us now to have ears that hear, hearts and minds that are receptive, and Lord, prepare the way for those that we will be ministering to in the future days. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, when we talk about this, sometimes, oh good, it works. The clicker works. We wonder why we should invest our time discussing this topic. Well, I would like to introduce you to the world of the self-injure. And it is a growing problem in our church and in our family. Over the last 10 years, this has become one of the hot topics in the church. I guarantee you it was going on before then. We've dealt with it before then. But um, it, it's now something that's recognized as a problem in the church. It's recognized as a problem in our nation. March 1st is SIAD. It's a National Self-Injury Awareness Day. And you'll see celebrities wearing these orange ribbons and going on talk shows. And um, there's been problems. Some celebrities want to call them self-injurers just to get the publicity and get a following with younger crowd, but um, they want it to be known as a problem, and I'd like you to see it as a symptom of a heart issue. It's not an identity. It's a symptom of a heart issue. When I talk about it being a rapid and extensive development or growth, an epidemic, I'm not saying that it's something you catch. It's not a disease. It's not an ism. It's a chosen life pattern. Um, Sometimes when I do a presentation like this, I'll have women that will recognize some of the slides, and I'll show you some slides later on of some self-injurers. I've taken the worst ones out. But um, I had one meeting that a woman came, and she was a grandmother, and she said to me afterwards, she said, I recognize that picture of a young girl with the cut marks on her stomach where her swimsuit didn't cover it. And that was my little 12-year-old granddaughter. I recognize that that she had uh, marks just like that. And it opened the door for her to have a conversation. And so one of the reasons I'm willing to do something like this and for other groups is to bring it to the awareness of women within the church. So we'll have our eyes open, especially to the struggles that young women grow through. I'd like you to meet several different women. This is Susan. Susan is a 40-year-old Christian wife and a mother, and she's secretly struggling with depression. You couldn't see it because she has a painted-on smile on her face when you see her. And then I'd like you to meet Amy. Amy is a lovely 14-year-old girl, and she's a member of a very dedicated Christian family. And then there's, by the way, she was involved with sports and, and, and music and you name it, she was involved with it. And then there's Becky. Be- Becky is a bubbly, 24-year-old single woman. She is very active in her community and in her church. She's part of the youth ministry. And then there's Anna. Anna. 
Anna is a 33-year-old Christian woman who is desperately trying to save her marriage. So what do these women from different churches have in common? Outwardly, they're active. They look like great Christians. But inside, uh, they're struggling in their heart. And they are using the coping method of self-injury. Remember, this is a practice. It's a life choice. It's uh, their method of coping with their emotions. Cutters are very real people. Uh, like I said, when we talk about them, I see faces in front of my heart and my mind. They have a need for our love. They need our compassion, and most of all, they need the truth spoken in love, not lectures spoken in love. If you lecture to a teenage cutter, you have just lost her, by the way. She's not going to hear a thing you have to say. And the important thing we need to convey more than anything, that the Word of God always provides a way of escape from the temptation. Always. When we start out talking, we need to talk about the problem of identity. Now, you and I were born as a baby, and we were created in the image of God. Because of our great-grandpa, we are a sinner who is accountable to God. We don't have a righteousness of our own. That's the condition we're born in. This sweet little baby who's creating the image of God, has a problem, has a heart problem. And that flows out and forms their identity. This baby, uh, as they grow up, what they do, their thoughts, their emotions, their actions are all going to flow out of these facts that they are creating the image of God, they're a sinner who's accountable to God, and they don't have a righteousness of their own. So what's going to happen? Their thoughts are going to be focused on Loving God and loving others? Two great commands? No. The exact opposite. And their emotions are going to be focused on loving God and loving others? No. And their actions, here we go, ditto. Um, they're going to be focused on just loving themselves. And you see some of the different actions there. And that one with the lady here, I call that worship at the to toilet bowl. Um, representing this sin pattern of anorexia or bulimia. These are actions that are choices. They're symptoms of a heart problem. Whoops, I skipped one. I want to go back. Now, we can have a change of identity, and here's the hope. Here's the hope that you have to offer, that I don't care somebody how many degrees they have. They cannot offer what you can when you hold out the Word of God to them. Someone who can come to know the Lord. Yes, always created in the image of God, but then as a forgiven sinner, they are still accountable to God, but now they're forgiven. They're not coming in the wrath of God being poured upon them. And now, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says they are clothed in Christ's righteousness. Many verses talk about there not being shame upon their, our face when we are in the righteousness of Christ. The Psalms referred that to us. And because of this new identity, um, the first was under, we heard about it before, the federal headship of Adam, the first Adam. And the second is under the second Adam, Jesus Christ. His federal headship or authority over us. A new identity. And Ephesians 4, 21 through 24, it says, Surely you heard of him? And we're taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Christ Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, your former identity, to put off your old identity stuff, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind, what you believe, and to put on the new self, the new choices that you make, Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. These are our heart, our mind, and our life choices we're talking about because of a brand new identity. Why is that hope? Left to themselves, someone struggling with this temptation, 
they're going to repeat the same patterns over and over and over again. And the best you can do is teach them how not to do this, but how to think about something else, or how to take a walk, or how to do something else, or contact somebody. That's the best you can do. You can get them to try to clean up their act. But if they have a new identity, and this is part of their living out their new identity, it's a whole new ball game. Um, I like Elise Fitzpatrick's book, um, remind me of that, the one where she talks about the indicatives and the imperatives um, that I've used for discipleship. I should have written it down. Oh, well, it'll come to me later. Call a senior moment. Um, I've used her book and other books to train young women not to think legalistically, but to see that their base of who they are, the indicative, this is my identity in Christ Jesus. Because of their identity in Christ Jesus, their life is hidden in Christ. Therefore, you live out the imperative. You should, you must, you do. So this applies to life choice of cutting, the same as anything else. Okay, self-injury is known as cutting to many people. Um, that's not the only form of self-injury. There are many others. And self-mutilation, um, when you say self-mutilation, it sometimes irritates people. When it's intentional, repeated harm of yourself. It's not self-injury if somebody else does it to you. If you choose it and you do it over and over again. It is dangerous, it's addictive-like behavior, and it's a symptom of a much deeper difficulty. Um, often the choice to self-injure is a cutter's attempt to escape his or her larger problem. In fact, the practice of self-injury may be the coping me method used to help the cutter turn away from suicidal thoughts. I've heard this over and over again. Young women say, <clears throat> I don't cut because I want to commit suicide. I cut because I don't want to commit suicide. But we're going to talk later about there's danger there. There's danger, the statistics comparing um, those who commit suicide to those who've already previously injured themselves through different practices, it's a high rate. You may accidentally do it, and you may become so numb to it that in a moment of desperation, you go ahead and do it. Broadly speaking, let's see. Yeah. Okay. Broadly speaking, uh, self-injury is an attempt to alter your mind state by inflicting physical harm serious enough to cause tissue damage to your body. If there isn't tissue damage, it's not considered self-injury. I've heard some reports that are. It's a slightly ridiculous, but it's um, kids sitting in school and they have these little rubber erasers and they rub at their skin and they get a good burn going. That's also considered self-injuries. Why? You do tissue damage, it lasts for a little while, and they're doing it because there's some physical response that their body feels. Um, I think at that point I'm not going to make too big of an issue about it, but try to get them thinking otherwise. Tissue damage refers to damage that will tear, bruise, or burn. Okay. Uh, yeah, good. Tear, bruise, or burn the skin. Something that causes bleeding or marks that don't go away in a few mi minutes. Sometimes people self-injure because they want to end or uh, a disassociated or unreal feeling state. They don't feel anything. I had one gal said... I don't feel anything. That's why I cut myself. And others, they will do it, um, and they and then want to come down back down to reality. Others will do it because they do have too strong emotions, and they're trying to get their focus off their strong emotions. It will bring a momentary sense of calm and release of tensions, but that will be followed by guilt and shame, and then you get a return of painful emotions. You see, it just works temporarily. It's not a permanent fix. And um, some of the actions that can be used are cutting, such as with knives, razors, glass, pins, or any sharp object burning, uh, cigarette burns in the skin. 
Um, it can be hitting their body with an object, even like their own fists, or banging their head into a wall or a heavy object until they bruise themselves or break a bone or break the tissue. <coughs> it can be picking at the skin. I remember being at um, a friend's house and her young teenage daughter was there. And I said, oh, what's that Band-Aid you got on your arm? And her mother was kind of embarrassed. She said, oh, she's got this wound that won't, won't heal. No matter what she does, it just doesn't seem to heal. And I looked at her and she looked me in the eye. And, I said, oh, you know, if I didn't know you so well, I'd be a little concerned. And um, I waited. I'm not pushing because there's no reason to at that point. Later on, she ended up in my office. She was keeping a scab going. You get a cut, you get a bruise, you keep it going. And I've seen gals sit in church, and instead of paying attention to the sermon, they're picking at their scab. It's getting their focus onto something else. They're feeling a physical response. And um, it, it is definitely in opposition to paying attention to God's Word. Sure. Um, with that in mind, how, how do you distinguish between autistic? Good question. Because in, in autism and in a couple other brain difficulties, there is some self-injury. And... I would get a doctor, a medical doctor, to help me figure some of those out because there are some of those practices that slide over. And thank you for mentioning that. I appreciate that. Um, there are some things that there are real physical damages to the way the, the brain works, and it can result in them harming themselves. So make sure you're working with a medical doctor. Um, I also suggest getting it your child that you think may be injuring themselves into a medical doctor for a full checkup. A woman gynecologist would be a great person if you can find one. <laughs> okay, here we are. Where are we at? Okay. We went through that. Okay. The problem with this is the desired altered mood. Um, they may get a sense of calm and release but it's followed by guilt and shame and painful emotions. And so then they end up in a difficult cycle. I wanted to talk to you about some more about these ladies. This is um, the life story of Susan. Susan did not have any history of abuse. I tell you that because it used to be anybody who's self-injured, we checked to see if they'd been abused sexually. Um, that's not always the case. That's not always the case. She had marital disharmony going on, and so um, she started choosing headbanging. You stupid idiot, you stupid idiot, as her choice of uh, self-injury to get her mind off of it. She would bang herself into her head into a mirror because she hated the image of herself. She was so miserable. And when she uh, broke the glass mirror and cut herself in the face, she knew that she was in real trouble. And then there's Amy. Amy had been sexually abused as a child. In her previous family, she had been sexually abused, physically abused, and she had been adopted by a good, solid Christian family. And her unhappiness over dealing with her new identity, trying to fit in her previous identity, and coming to see herself only as a physical object, she was a confused mess. So um, her, then she had secret desires to be admired and physically wanted by boys and men. So she would sneak out of her father's house and mother's house and get involved with immorality. And then she'd have guilt over that. And so um, she rebelled against her parents in many other ways, too. And she was going a downward spiral. The parents almost wanted to give her back. Of course, they couldn't. So hers was a guilt-driven process. And she started with a cutting, and she also did um, scab picking. 
By the way, gals call their tools, um, they call them their set of tools, their, whether it's a knife or pins or uh, razors or uh, needles, and they'll usually keep them stashed in their bedroom or the bathroom. You could go through and find their tools and get rid of them. I guarantee you they're going to get more. Now, Becky. Becky was leading a double life. She... Um, there had been some abuse in her past, but it didn't appear to affect her bright future. Um, she was a teacher at this point, and she was a leader in a youth group. And um, her church thought she was wonderful. She was, she was just outgoing, shining light. And she was a solid teacher, and everybody loved her. But she struggled with lesbian desires, and she eventually became involved with a minor female, and she had guilt, she had confusion, and her fear drove her to cutting, to pulling out her hair, to pulling out her eyebrows, and then to plucking out her eyelashes. I remember one session sitting with her, and she's plucking out her eyelashes, and I said, what are you doing? She said, oh, this is cool, this feels cool. Haven't you ever tried? You should try. I said, no, I'm not going to try. And you need to sit on your hands because I'm not going to be talking to you while you're doing that in front of me. <laughs> but it was her way of physically trying to relieve her emotions. There's three basic types of self-injury. And um, you probably will never deal with the first kind. Uh, oh, I forgot to tell you about Anna, didn't I? Oops. I better tell you about Anna. Anna is a dedicated Christian woman. She really does love the Lord. And um, she did have a slight touch of legalism in her. But for years, she struggled with an adulterous husband who belittled and humiliated her. And uh, at every chance, belittled her, her physical appearance. And she was beautiful. And in marriage counseling, she started saying, it's my fault. It's my fault he's committing adultery. It's my fault. We had to deal with that. Um, it was her fault for his looking at pornography. If only she could be prettier, sexier, or more godly, or more intelligent. She knows that he wouldn't have done this. Well, she was involved with, with bulimia because she was hating her physical appearance. And um, she progressed on to the practices of cutting. I found that the mindset of somebody involved with anorexia and bulimia slides over very easily into cutting and vice versa. Because it's a heart issue. It's, it's not an identity, it's a heart issue. Okay. Now we'll talk about the major kinds. The major self-mutilation is the rarest, most extreme form. I have never dealt with this case. Hope never to. Um, it results usually in permanent disfigurement, disfigurement such as castration or limb amputation. If you worked in um, a hospital of people were uh, suffering long-term um, uh, problems, even dealing with vets coming back from war, you might have to deal with this. We probably never will. All of these other types I have dealt with, and God's grace has been sufficient. There are stereotypic self-mutilation, which consists of head-banging, eyeball-pressing, and biting, biting themselves, leaving wounds. Um, and then there's superficial self-mutilation. It's involves cutting, burning, hair pulling, bone breaking, hitting, interference with wound healing, that's keeping the wound open, and basically any method used to harm oneself. That's considered superficial. Um, you break a bone, I think it's pretty serious. And then others have put under, under this category, and I would agree, harmful eating practices such as anorexia and bulimia. Um, they're put under this uh, definition, the broader term, because it's doing harm to the body, and it's used as a method to cope with emotions, unwanted emotions. Okay. It is not self-injury if your purpose is sexual pleasure, body decoration, such as, such as tattoos. Now, you see somebody with tattoos all over, and you say, um, are they a self-injury? Technically, no. 
If they do it for the experience of the pain, maybe. But if they're doing it because they think this is their form of art, that's a personal choice for them to deal with. Um, it's not if it's spiritual enlightenment, um, such as some form of religious ritual, which has been going on for a long, long time, or if it's fitting in or being cool because other people you know are doing it. That is not self-injury. There's lots of terms for it. I've given you those terms in your uh, information there. Self-inflictive violence. Um, you do it to yourself. Self-injury. This is a physical injury. It's not emotional abuse. Self-harm. It's intentional. It's not being clumsy. I don't care how many times you end up in an emergency room. It's not being clumsy if you choose to do it. And parasuicide. This is not a suicide attempt, but it could involve releasing those suicidal desires. So they're practicing suicide and they're doing some bloodletting and letting their blood flows in the process. Cutting is the most common name for bloodletting and delicate cutting. This refers to an artistic form of self-bloodletting. I have gone on websites because I research this kind of stuff. I have gone on websites where they will show you how to put chemicals over your skin so that the blood comes up close to the top of the skin. And then you have a dark background and music going or somebody reading poetry and you've got candles going. It shows you how to cut yourself delicately so that it flows down in artistic form. Yeah. I'm sorry. Any teenager or 12-year-old or 10-year-old can probably figure out how to get to those websites. So we need to know about it. And self-mutilation uh, is a term that they don't like because they say you're talking about my heart now. And I've given you some um, of the initials there for what that means. Self-injury that we're going to talk about is repetitive self-injury, chosen as coping practice over and over again. Who wants to harm themselves? Um, I've given you some of that information there. It's approximately 0.7 to 2.8% of the United States population, or 2 to 8 million Americans. Um, I would like to update this information. I think this is a little low here. And this could be a very inaccurate number because most of the time it's not reported. And not reported. It's not found out. Okay, this is a picture. It's a mild one. I'm bringing you in easy of what somebody would look like who'd been practicing cutting. They might have several Band-Aids. They have cute Band-Aids out now. They'd sell for these purposes, too. Um, we don't know what this is doing to our nation's children. This is one of our biggest concerns. In 2006, it was reported that 15% of the teenage population were self-injurers. Studies show that between 14 to 39% of adolescents have had at least one incident of deliberate self-injury. The real number may be higher. It's a secretive practice, but this, uh, studies show that one in five teenagers have engaged in some form of self-injury, at least trying it. Mom will never know. This practice often starts in early teen years and may continue to the 20s, 30s, and I've dealt with 40 years old. The youngest I've had to deal with was a four-year-old. Um, it was a case of a foster child coming into a home who had learned behaviors from a um, very imbalanced mother, very sinful practicing young mother, and then I had to counsel the, the foster mother and how to minister to the child to train them and wean them off of this uh, practice. Okay. Okay. They may have, self-injurers may have had sexual abuse. We've talked about that. Um, they may have had physical abuse, but it doesn't mean that necessarily they have. They just may be overwhelmed. It's, this practice is apparent <coughs> in high-functioning individuals with no other 
so-called uh, clinical uh, diagnosis. Now we see it in senior citizens. They're in despair. If you go into the prison system, you will find a higher rate of men who practice self-injury than women. Women seem to work better in institutions than men do. I don't know why. Okay. Although uh, suicide is not the intention of self-harm, you are at greater risk for it. The increased risk of suicide of individuals who self-harm to the extent that self-harm is found in 40 to 60% of suicide. So if you practice this, you're 40 to 60% more likely of committing suicide. That's why it's something to pay attention to. This is commonly seen as a feminine practice, but as you see here, young men practice this too. Um, women are more likely to do the type of cuts that show up and that people recognize. They're more likely to end up in the ER or they're having their doctor check them out. Males are not as likely to have reported it or to be seen. Uh, males are more likely to burn or hit themselves in self-harm forms. Um, and think of it, we expect guys to have some broken bones and some, some uh, chipped tooth and something. You know, get out there, play that football, be tough. We expect that of guys. Some of it is they are very distraught about their life and it's practice of self-injury. I wanted to include some warning signs. You have them in their, your notes there to look at later, too. Uh, if you think somebody is um, in danger of self-injury, it's hard to see. Usually they're going to be wearing loose clothing, and they'll be wearing loose clothing even in the summer. They won't want to go swimming. They won't want to go to PE, places where their body may be displayed. They'll have unexplained wound or scars, cuts, bruises, or burns, usually on the wrists, arms, thighs, or chest. They can put them in places you can't see. I remember um, meeting, I had a young man from the congregation call me up and said his friend uh, from school, from homeschool group, was harming herself, and he thought that she was being abused at home. And I said, would she come in for counseling? No, she's afraid. Finally, because I thought it might be an abuse situation, I did something I never do. I never meet with a teenager without the written consent of the parent and the parent being there and being involved. I said, meet me in a public place. We'll meet at the mall. You come with her. Don't let her come alone. You come with her, and my husband will be with me. He'll sit at another table, and we'll discuss in a public spot. Because I was checking to see if she was being abused at home. That's what I was doing. And I talked to her for a while, and, and she, she showed, I said, show me your arms. She showed me your arms. She had the marks. She had the marks. Okay. I knew what she was doing. Talked to her enough, figured out she's unhappy at home, but it's not abuse. So I told her I'd be willing to meet with her and let her mom know we'll be working through this. God will give her the ability to handle this. She went home excited. I got a call from the mother. She was upset. Don't blame her. Why are you meeting with my daughter without my permission? I explained the setting. I said, look, I didn't know but what. Maybe your daughter was being abused. That's the only time I would have done it. And uh, it was public. She had someone with her. So she said, okay. Well, I understand. I said, I think you should take your daughter to a doctor for a physical checkup. Well, we know she's unhappy now, so she's going to counsel with our pastor. I thought long and hard. What respect did I need to show this young woman um, to keep her story? I had never promised to keep quiet. I told her, I won't. she said, are you going to tell my mom? I said, no, I won't have to. She said, I will? Yeah. So she understood I expected her to tell her mother. She didn't tell the whole story. Well, I finally decided the daughter's well-being was more important than my so-called integrity in this situation. And I said, I want you to examine your daughter's arms. I believe she is hurting herself. What? No. And 
that was in, and I heard of it until later on I found out from the young man. Uh, the mother did see. They did take their daughter into the doctor. They were getting her help along with some biblical counseling too. Daughter wasn't speaking to me. The mother wasn't speaking to me. The guy, the young man in our church didn't speak to me for a year. I don't care. She got some help. But I want to warn you to be very careful in the way you deal with teenagers. Always try to get written permission and never meet with them alone, ever. Um, if, if I meet with a young teenager, the parent will be there. The parent will have given written permission. We'll speak for a while with the parent there, and I'll speak for them after a while with the uh, parent out of the room. And then I'll let them, them know I will never hold anything that's important to you as a parent in secret. I will let you know. You have a right to be the parent. So that's just one of my stories. Um, if they have sharp objects or cutting instruments, such as razors, knives, needles, um, things that they probably don't need, glass shards, bottle caps in their belonging, that may be a warning sign. If they got blood stains on their towels or um, they have blood-soaked tissues all around, find out what's going on. If they have frequent accidents, um, you know, you can't be all that clumsy all the time. Um, If they're constantly covering up their body, even in hot weather. In Arizona, if somebody wears long sleeves in the middle of summer, I'm wondering what's going on underneath there. And by the way, when they have wrists that they've been cutting, they'll wear these nice big wristbands that you see, the pretty colored ones. I hate those things. I hate those things. Um, And if they want to be left alone, if they don't want to go to shower with anybody else, kind of understand that, but PE, sometimes things you have to do, sleepovers, summer camps, family trips, they don't want to be around when anybody see their body. If they want to be alone for a long period of time, especially in the bedroom or the bathroom, and they are wanting isolation and irritability, this may be a red flag. I put a note to self. This is common in the average teenager. It's not necessarily a sign that they're cutting Okay. Why do people want to do this? Good question. Um, There were seven reasons that were given to me. Um, I have another one to add to that that a dear little cutter told me. One was to release emotions. Two was to show hatred for yourself. Three was to discipline or punish yourself. I'm bad. I'm bad. They may have heard that from the parent. You're bad. Um, and now they're punishing themselves. To feel pain or see blood, to calm their racing thoughts. I remember one young gal telling me, my brain just gets going so fast and goes so fast and I can't hold, hold anything, I can't keep it in control of everything, and i got to cut myself so I can slow down and I can think. Um, she was having anxiety. Sometimes it's to stop flashbacks or bad memories that are coming in and they don't want to think about them. And often it's to avoid suicide. Uh, This is their method of trying to avoid suicide. And by the way, I, I call these choices, actions. I'm not going for changing their behavior. I'm going for the heart. And that's why we're aiming towards what they believe and what that says to them about their identity. My young friend Amy uh, suggested another reason. It broke my heart when she said it. It's because everyone wants to feel loved. Sometimes when you don't feel loved or accepted, hurting yourself is a substitute for love. That's perverse, but that's how she believed. I remember another young gal It was her 21st birthday. Her friends were giving her a party. This is her first chance to legally drink, you know. And so they were going out. And I don't suggest this, but this is what they were doing. And they were going to have a party, and they were going to have cake, and they were going to go have a a drink, you know, legally. And she turned down the party. She wanted to stay home in her garage, sit on top of her dryer, alone in the dark, and cut herself. That's what she longed for all day long on her 21st birthday. How sad. There's a real need for help here. 
Now, the real reason that people are tempted to self-injure is because it actually works for a little while. It does work for a little while. It doesn't do it for all people. Some people try, it doesn't work. But there is a physical response that God gave in our body. And um, Hope and Health for Self-Injurers and Cutters by Mark Shaw, put out by Focus Publishing. I would strongly recommend you get that. He tells the whole um, way that the God created the body and how the body responds, the physiology of cutting. And he says that cutters often say that the emotional pain is transferred to the physical pain and it makes sense to the cutter, who then physiologically experiences pain relief caused by the mechanism in his or her own body. Cutters also say that the physical pain feels good, much better than the emotional pain experienced prior to cutting. And I have some other information on that. I suggest you get the book, Hope, a little booklet, Hope and Help for the Self-Injured and Cutters by Mark Shaw, put out by Focus Publishing. I'm sure I gave you that information. Basically, what he's saying is this. God made your body so you can survive in an injury. So what happens? You get an injury, and something happens inside your body. It sends a trigger to your brain. Your brain lets out a little bitty magic. Wuffle dust, let's call it, uh, endorphins, and uh, dopamine, and neurotransmitters, and all these work together, and they send some form of relief. You get a slight temporary high. To some people, it's like a slight amount of taking drugs. I had one young gal I was dealing with who just cut her. Her mother was trying to deal with her on her meds, her prescription meds. And the young girl turned to the mother and said, at least what I do is legal and natural. What kind of example had the mother set with her illegal drugs? God made the body to respond. So you could physically get up if you're hurt and go into the emergency room and get some help. That's what it's for. Or you could cry for help. So the body responds. You get a little bit of relief. And because this works, cutting can be addictive because the endorphins, dopamine, and serotonin that are released in the body can feel similar to a drug rush, although to a lesser degree. Um, please don't explain this to some young person who's thinking about trying it. Are, are either of the books on that page uh, appropriate to give to someone? Um, it depends on how old they are. I, any book that I now have on cutting, I don't give to a cutter. I give them the word of God. I go through things in discipleship. Um, I may want the mother to know. But I, I'm not going to hand it over to her. Amy Baker has some great book, little books that's on cutters. I appreciate them. And some young teenage girl picking them up by herself, okay, God led her to it. I'm not going to hand it to her because I don't want her to see the blood. I don't want her thinking about it. I want her thinking about the Word of God and the power of God. So thank you for asking. <laughs> Um, I'm going to give you a word of encouragement. Not all individuals who self-injure are going to continue the practice of self-harm. For some, it doesn't do it. For some, it only temporarily does it. They repent of it, and then they're going to go on with their life. Okay. We talked about that. This is uh, from a book um, by Edward T. Welch. PNR Publishing put it out. And it's a little booklet. It's called The Vicious Cycle of Cutting Here. Um, it's Self-Injury is the name of the book. Self-Injury When Pain Feels Good. And what you have, this looks like what happens in your life. You got a stressful situation. What's stressful for you may not be stressful for me and vice versa. But it's stressful to that person. And they're feeling overwhelmed. They make a life choice. They make a life choice of cutting. Now, they're going to pick that life choice over and over again. It becomes a pattern of behavior. And it's going to be the first thing they go to is their coping mechanism. But they make a life choice of cutting. They're focusing on the blood. They're focusing on the pain. They get a little temporary relief in their mind, maybe. But they're not thinking about what they're so stressed out about. And they get a little bit of relief. It feels good not to think about those things. 
But then, oh no, I know better and I promised mom and dad and, and yeah, what does God's word say? And I wasn't looking for hope and I'm supposed to be a Christian. And then they're overwhelmed by guilt. And did they change their situation through their action? No. It's just as bad, if not worse. So now they've got additional stress. And what has become their pattern of behavior of dealing with stress? Yeah. Um, when I deal with cutters, some of the things I look for are their trigger points. Uh, what things prompt you to this temptation? And we'll build new plans of how to put godly actions in the place of that. Well, what kind of hope can we give them? We can give them lots of hope. Um, they need the truth. They need the truth as much as you and I do. Uh, they're guilty of many forms of deceit. They lie to themselves and they lie about who God is. Some of their lies are uh, hopelessness and depression. I must have control. This is the way I control. I have no control over anything, so here I'm going to control. I have to avoid confrontation, and I need relief. I must have relief. And they hate themselves. They're angry at themselves. And so therefore they have to punish themselves. Here's some of the biblical truths that they need in their life. Maybe you want them to write it out. Focus on it. Think about this. You don't have to memorize it, but maybe uh, every day think about this verse. In the morning and then the evening. God is the God of hope. And then the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. My Savior was hated and rejected. Um, I'm not alone in this. Getting relief from self-destructive behavior is selfish. And Christ was pierced for my sin. I have a new identity. Those are some of the truths they need. Um, another lie. I can't handle it. There's more I can handle. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Yeah. No temptation given you said, just come to man. God's faithful. I can do all things through Christ Jesus. I'm ashamed. I must hide who I am. I love Psalm 34, 5. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. And I've given you a recommendation of uh, some of Amy Baker's material. Great gal, great material. I want to get into some of these others. Uh, some of the questions you could ask. By the way, um, I don't think I'm going to take the time to go through these. But some of these questions you could ask. I got this from a secular resource. I couldn't find a whole lot of Christian resources, what kind of question you ask. And I think they're pretty, pretty good questions to ask. Um, you know, like, how long have you been hurting yourself? Why do you hurt yourself? What's going on? Um, how do you hurt yourself? What practices do you, when and where? I will, when I'm talking to a teenager, I'll talk gently to her, and I'll get information out, and then I'll wait a little while, and I'll ask another question. It's kind of the teenager's little play. So they will give you information, but first they want to know that you're listening and caring about them. Um, do you want to change your self-injury behaviors? How can I help you? Do you have some ideas I can help you? You're going to have lots of help ideas yourself. Um, for some people, I've told you, it's, it's no longer shameful. Um, there's good news. Self-injury follows a pattern of triggers and reactions. As I talk about, we can find out some of their triggers and, and reactions. When you think like hurting yourself, uh, write down a schedule. Where were you? What time of day was it? What were you thinking about? Were you alone? Was there somebody else around? Start keeping a journal. The reason it's good is then we can go and take those thoughts captive. Replace them with the truth. If they follow a pattern of triggers and reaction, we have hope. We can go in and replace those triggers with the word of God, with the truth. Um, they need accountability and encouragement. Um, they need to start praying for their accountability and encouragement partners. I always get them somebody else to be accountable to, not just myself. Um, they need to focus on the use of the scriptures in their prayer life. They have to learn. This is the biggest one. If you get nothing else, this is it. They have to learn to value the blood of Christ. What they're doing is showing disrespect to the blood of Christ. They're shedding their own blood from remission of sin. Spilling your own blood will never bring you peace, forgiveness, and freedom. 
And they may not re recognize what they're doing as a form of worship, but I hope you will recognize it's a form of worship. Um, okay, eventually their sinful actions, after they choose it over and over again, will become their identity. And cutter is what they'll call themselves usually. I like to get them to stop and say, you mean you chose to cut yourself? Yes, yes, that's what I'm saying. Okay, we challenge the thought life. Um, I've given you some verses that are helpful. This is a young man, I believe, who has burned into his arm the word human. And we need to remember that God created man in his own image. And cutters will often be filled with self-hatred and loathing of the fact that they're human. And they may not, not consider themselves to be human, if, especially if it's an abused case. Um, one of my favorite verses I want everybody to memorize is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Because they may feel so isolated by their sinful temptations. They think... There's all these good people in church, and then there's them. So they need to go and hide. And they're going to want to go out and cut after they've been around all those good people. Here is a young man. You can see some of the cut marks on his stomach. Here is a young girl. This is the one that the grandmother recognized and then realized that she had seen similar marks on her granddaughter's body when she was swimming at their house. Cutters live in shame and fear very often. And Psalm 69.4 tells us, calls out to God, asking God to rescue them. Um, deliver me from those who hate me from the deep waters. Often cutters have experienced abuse. It doesn't mean in every case. I have to keep saying that because... They'll get very upset with me if I don't. Here is someone who was taking, I believe, a soldering iron and burned into their arm the word help. Cutters need to see that God values their lifeblood. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. Psalm 72, 14. And I want them to see their blood as being precious. Here's somebody who's been cutting in themselves. Words, death, and truth. Um, cutters need to see that God values their lifeblood. We talked about that. Here are some more. And um, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences? See, it's not just the guilt. It's our conscience. Cleanse our consciences from the acts that led to death so that we may serve the living God. They need to find the cleansing that they can only find in Christ's blood. And Hebrews 9.14 is an excellent verse. Here's someone with some fresh blood. Um, I didn't take these pictures. They were posted. I do not take pictures of anybody I've dealt with. Um, cutters need to recognize the superiority of Christ's blood. We, we see in 1 Peter 1, 18-19, the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. You see, I want to talk a lot about blood. I want to talk a lot about the value of the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to, at the very first, but I'm going to introduce it to them. And more and more, I'm going to say, do you recognize what Christ sacrifices for? It was for your guilt, for your shame, for your fear, for your anger, for your worry. That's the value of the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, this one breaks my heart. I don't know if you can see it. Someone has cut into their arm. Daddy. Maybe a case of abandonment or abuse. Uh, Psalm 68, 19. Blessed be the Lord who daily beareth our burden. This is a burden to care if you've been, carry if you've been treated that way. Even the God who is our salvation. They can learn to trust the Lord with their daily burdens. Um, often they may have a difficulty understanding as those who have been abused, God is their father. And these are definitely burn marks. Um, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. Psalm 107, 19. Answer me when I call to you, O my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer. Psalm 4, 1. 
Cutters can cry out to the Lord in their trouble. I want them to have an emergency list of individuals they can contact in the middle of the night. Um, I want them to email me. I get it on my phone. And oftentimes in the middle of the night, the Lord will wake me up and there's an email from one of my little cutters. And I'm um, sorry, I don't mean to be disrespectful. Um, one of these dear individuals. And I'll pray for them and I'll contact them back. I don't give them my text number or my phone number because you deal with a few hundred people. After a while, everybody has an emergency going on. But I want to be available and they need other people that are available to them. Maybe another friend that their parents give okay they can have contact with. Often if they're in this situation, their parents have taken away some of their rights because they got in trouble for other things too. Here's someone who's burning into the arm. It says, farther, A-W, and later on posts says, farther away. This person is headed for suicide. Here you see a young man's marks on his hands, been hit in the wall, hit in the wall, angry and upset. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God, 1 Peter 2.16. These are some of the verses that are real, and they can make changes in people's lives. This person says, I feel everything. Some people feel nothing. Other people feel everything. I love Psalm 119.45. I talk about freedom a lot with cutters. And Psalm 119.45 says, I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. You want freedom? Seek out the precepts of the Lord. What does God's word say? Let's live in it. Let's apply it. Let's surrender to the Lord and under the power of the Holy Spirit through Christ Jesus. Let's live out seeking his precepts. You're going to walk about in freedom. Freedom from fear, freedom from worry, freedom from guilt. Um, here's someone who says, lies, burnt into their arm. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. They're often growing weary, and you can deal with them after a while, and you're going to grow a little weary too. I don't think this is cutting. I think this young woman just put it on her arm. But it's, it's the idea. I want to be free. A cutter is really only going to know true freedom. How? By seeking the one where freedom's found in Christ Jesus. Um, there's some other verses. Romans 8, 28 to 29 talks about um, God can work anything to our good. But he defines what good is. They would be conformed to the image of the Son. You help them find value in some of their suffering they've gone through. Maybe it was part of the process that they would come to know the Lord and see what Christ had done to pay the price for them. Um, I have other information if you'd like it. Um, if Just contact me. This is a post that I did not write on. This young person did it. You see the fresh blood. And they say to themselves, this isn't all that I am. This isn't all I am. And that's something I want them to realize. This isn't all they are. And their whole being, their whole soul should be belonging to Christ. They do already belong to God, but they need to be turning their heart over to Christ. Um, I, I would be glad to receive any information. I've given you my um, uh, email JanetGustafson at gmail.com and our website is www.bctcofaz.net This is the bottom line. I have this up on my wall. This is the God that they need to know. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And I'll, I'll look to them and I'll, and I'll say, this is the God you want. The one's going to bind up your wounds. This is the God you want. So um, I don't know if we have any time for questions or not. Did anybody have a question in the quick life? Let's pray, and then if you have a question, it'll be fine. Father, we do thank you for our time together. Oh, Lord, thank you for this precious ministry of reconciliation that we might be your ambassadors, urging others to be reconciled to you. Lord, help us not to judge unlovingly. 
Help us not to turn our face and not hear or see because this is an unpleasant thing. But Lord, give us open hearts, willing ears. Let us be patient with those who are struggling. Turn our hearts, Lord, that we might love you and obey you, and that way we might call others to love and obey you also. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2015 IBCD. All rights reserved. More free audios are available at www.ibcd.org. 